Welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers in conversation about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Wendy Hurd, and I am here interviewing none other than Jennifer Hillier, author of the award-winning Jar of Hearts and the newly released Little Secrets. Jennifer, welcome so much to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Wendy. I'm so glad to be here. I know we're so excited to have you. I almost... First of all, would you like to be called Jennifer or Jenny during this interview? I, whatever, we're friends, so you call me whatever you like. <laughs> J-Dog? <laughs> yeah, J-Blow. J oh, my, nice. My husband's last name starts with Blow, right? Um, really? So people, yeah, so kind of the mm. internal nickname is J-Blow, which I secretly really love, but pretend that I really don't. So. Now, do you make fun <laughs> of that a lot around the house? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Soon your Jenny son will be too blog. old for that, and all of your jokes will not go over his head anymore. I know. He hasn't gotten into the eye-rolling thing yet, um, but he did drop his first whatever the other day, and I was very <gasps> taken aback. Like, it really did shut me up. Like, I forget what we were talking about. It was like ice cream, and I, he was like, eh, whatever. And I'm like, what? Wow. five, by the way. Five. Five with attitude. Yes. Well, that's how we like them. <laughs> We grow them that way. We do. Yeah. You can't. You can't not have a sassy kid if you're an author. No, I just don't think it's possible. True. This is true, and it's really funny, right? So, yeah, you have to be careful not to reinforce it, though, right? Because the next I know. thing you know, I know, <laughs> I know, and you laugh too much. Like, so he does occasionally drop a swear word in because he hears me say it, and sometimes he hears his dad say it, but mainly it's me, um, <laughs> and I. It's friggin' cute as hell. Um, but I have to be like, no, we don't say that. Well, He's like, yeah, we I do. I know mommy says it, but it's not for little kids to say. You know, sometimes parents say it when they and they shouldn't. But, but it's cute. Like it really is cute. A little voice. I know. Bad words. I know. It's so bad. I mean, the thing I'm I'm upset about is that you know. <laughs> We only interview really like upstanding female citizens on this show, and so the fact that you do swear is gonna, it's going to be a problem. I'm going to try not to though, because I'm I'm working on my swearing. Really? Um, I really am. I'm I'm trying because I'm aware that I will. People are, you know, now that I'm a parent and I'm friends with my son's friends' parents, am realizing that maybe it offends people, and you know school situations <laughs> so here's my question i talked okay. to mindy you know mindy mejia yes i do i yeah i follow okay. her on twitter mm-hmm. she's awesome so we were talking about being a mom and an author of the darker things yes. and the idea of, and this like changing your identity to every yeah. place you go yes. so you're like for example you are at home and you're just trying to figure out like which bone saw would i use if i was right. trying to like dismember that's this what character I did for the whole day was research that one thing yeah uh-huh and then mm-hmm. you go pick up mocks and you're like right. hi i'm working on my swearing because i don't want to yeah. upset the ladies at the pta meeting right right you know yeah. or the after school you know daycare teacher that is really lovely and you don't want to you know tell her at the fucking worst day like it's just it's it's weird because that is the responsibility that I feel now is I never used to worry about how I sounded. You know, it was really fun becoming a writer and realizing that we swear and that's okay. Um, and then being a mom and realizing some of the other parents don't like it and you don't want to be known as that mom who's really inappropriate. Um, we have a, a mom in our group that does a lot of Instagramming and she's the bikini mom, right? 
and mm. there's no shame or judgment. It's just that's kind of how she's known, right? She's the bikini mom. She's the one who is totally fine with being in a bathing suit on her Instagram. And I'm wondering if I now have the label of the sweary mom, <laughs> right? Because that's what I do. I, I I'm a hundred percent sure you're the murder mom. A I'm thousand percent. Sure I'm yeah. I'm the scary mom, and so like my son's kindergarten teacher follows me on Twitter. And oh no. I didn't know that for what? the longest time. And I really wish that I still didn't know that. Oh, um, no. Because, and she's fine. She's really nice. But it's like, no, that's not the image that I want you to have of me. <laughs> I don't want you to know what Mox's mom does for a living. And I don't want you to see the shit that I post on Twitter. Please do not. <laughs> so did do you, not do you not to. tell people in your day-to-day? I never tell anybody that I'm a writer. I, what do you tell them? I don't say anything, and I think say people assume I, I think people assume I, I don't work outside the home or that okay. I don't work, right? I've never told anybody, and the only reason anybody at school found out is because I went to a Canadian book event for crime writers here in Toronto, and it turned out that Mox's uh, kindergarten, his other kindergarten teacher, is married to a writer who also writes crime fiction, and we were both at the same event. And she was like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm here announcing an award. <laughs> like, it's like, what are you doing here? It's like, oh, my husband is also announcing an award. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. So, that's and that's, so And I random. felt outed. I felt like I was in this other environment. And I had been spotted by someone I didn't want to be spotted by. And she's lovely. And it's fine. But it was weird because I don't mix my worlds. I'm but nobody like, ever Googles you or, like, follows you on Instagram? If they do, they don't tell me. Like, I, they don't tell me. So, and I, I, I kind of don't want to know who knows what. Because I just, I feel very, like, now I'm aware that Mox's teacher follows me. And now he's not in kindergarten. So maybe she'll stop following the parents, right? But I just, uh, I feel like I'm being watched. And I feel like I can't be myself. So, I, and, but I forget. Okay. And then I, I mean, yeah, go ahead. I'm fascinated by this. I'm fascinated <laughs> that you don't tell people. Because they I can just Google people. you. You know people well, must Google you. I think it started because when I became a writer, well, when I started writing, I wasn't working, right? So I was, I was like, I had a year where I was trying to get a, a work visa because I was living in Seattle and I'm Canadian. Oh, right. Uh-huh. And so for the one year that I couldn't get my paperwork together because um, they kept losing my fingerprints, I was writing a book. And when people would say, what do you do? I would say a writer and they would make a face. Everyone I told when I was an aspiring writer had a face. And I'm sensitive to faces, right? So I would read this face as a judgy face or as a face that meant clearly you're nuts, right? Like, why would you attempt to write a book? Like, what makes you think you can do this? And I felt – and then I got sensitive to it. Um, And then I stopped telling people uh, enthusiastically or in any other kind of way that I was a writer because I then didn't want to see people – make the face because people still make the face don't you find people make the face people make a face like you'll say i'm a writer and they'll go oh what do you write and then you go oh i write thrillers and then there's a face oh there is a face i there's a face i it's not that i mind telling people that i'm a writer because at maybe because it's la it's like everybody's something like that yeah no but i would think in la that would be okay right because it's very artsy there right but with the second they ask about the genre (laughs) <laughs> I just cringe and they, I always get asked I just got asked yesterday yeah. I was thinking about this I wanted to ask you about this I made a note okay. last night because I was on an event I was on a panel okay and I got asked why do you write such dark stuff so I'm wondering do you think this is because we're women 
Is it because we're um, nice? Is I it- think so. Yeah, I know. Right. And I think it's, I think it's a, a woman thing. Um, and I think it's that we present ourselves as respectable people. And I think it just shocks average folks. Like in, in writing now, nothing shocks me. Right. Cause you go to these writing events and you and I, that's where we met. Um, those are our people, right? We're all in the same boat, but people who don't write, um, and people maybe who don't read thrillers get very shocked by what we actually look like. Like we are walking around like regular people. Um, and I'm trying to be compassionate to that because I suppose when I was younger and reading a lot of Stephen King, I assumed he was creepy, right? Um, but from everything I've seen and heard, he's not creepy at all. He just writes creepy stuff. Yeah. So maybe that's the assumption that we write dark stuff. We must be dark people. But I mean, we are. I, maybe we're just better at hiding it um, or we have a place to put it. I was going to say, it's, yeah. or is it that we get it out and we don't carry yeah. it around? Yeah. Which I think is a healthy thing because if we're not writing about it, then what are we doing? Then when, then you worry, right? I don't know. I mean, yes, of course. I just, I find it kind of interesting. <laughs> and I was wondering if you get that question too. All the time. Why do you write such dark stuff? And, and I answer it depending on my mood. You know, there are times when I give this, oh, the stock answer is, well, you know, it's, it's just, I've been drawn to the, these types of stories. I, I feel a sense of maybe false control writing about something scary, feeling that if I write about it, it won't happen. Or I can kind of write through it and figure out that in the end we triumph. And so then it makes me feel comforted. Um, I don't know that I know why I write dark stuff. I don't know why it appeals to me. I just know that it does. And I love true crime and I love watching serial killer shows. And I love, I've always loved crime fiction in general. And I just, I like, I like, turning things over and seeing what's underneath right and I think that's what crime fiction is is just looking turning something over and looking in all the dark places that people don't usually look well I guess I was thinking as you were talking I I bet people who write erotica and romance get the same question oh I'm sure right yeah maybe anything that's like on the fringe or like stigmatized that isn't just contemporary I'm trying to think, do I know any erotica writers? I don't know. I'm not close to any erotica writers that I could ask, you know, that I yeah. would know what their personal lives involve. But I'm sure it's the same assumption where just because we write about it doesn't mean we do it. Right. I guess I guess people are probably fascinated with like, why are you so obsessed with sex? You know, like, are you, <laughs> right? So I guess it's but like, why are you so obsessed with sex? Though, but who isn't, right? Right. Like, just the, the difference is that we write about it maybe. Um, yeah, but who isn't? Also, maybe, like, why is, like, I think we know that men are obsessed with sex, but I think men still don't know that women are also obsessed with sex. Like, they Completely. don't. Yeah. So I think there's yeah. also that curiosity, like, really? Yeah. yeah. A normal lady, not like a, <laughs> an easy lady, like just a, a normal mom. Like, yes, right. everyone, like, humans. You know what I will say about that is some of the most um, provocative seeming people that I know, women, are actually the most conservative in real life. Interesting. Yeah. Bikini mom? Maybe bikini mom. I don't know her well enough to figure that out, but they're, you know, the ones who are comfortable sort of being seen um, from that lens are, in my experience, the ones who, you know, inside the home are the the shyest. That's really interesting. I wonder what that is. I don't know. That's just my experience. I'm not speaking for all women, but I always thought that was interesting, you know? 
I, I, when the, when the first thing you said, when, when you said bikini mom, I, the first thing I had to, I was thinking to myself is she lives in Canada. It's cold as fuck. Like, is this lady like freezing her ass off? Where is she wearing this bikini? At home, apparently in the backyard. And she, does she have in the snow ever? Cause that's amazing. It does. It does. But like, really? Yeah. She'll still, I mean, sometimes (laughs) it's not, well, and sometimes it's in summer and spring it's bikinis and then around, and then it's a gym, you know, gym photos where the, where the outfit is skimpy. Um, you know, like she, she'll work out in stuff that I still wouldn't wear, (laughs) like, which is like fine. There's no judgment. It's just, it's the, it's the mutual, like understanding of all the moms that we have, we have somehow referred to her as bikini mom. And then I was just fascinated like baking mom, you know, there's baking mom and then there's super, super involved mom at school, right? Like the one who volunteers for everything. Type A mom. Type A mom, right? Um, Busy mom who can never talk for more than a second. That's me. Um, (laughs) And right. And I think I am, I I must be murder mom or I don't know. I don't want to know. If I had a superpower, that would not be the superpower that I would want. Mind reading? No, I don't want to know. I don't want to know what you're thinking, which is why I don't read my reviews. I don't want to know what you're thinking. You never read any of them? Only if tagged. Um, oh, God. And only if they're sent to me. So the ones that are sent to me obviously are, are always good um, because your publicist and editor know that our spirits are fragile and why would we ruin your day by sending you a bad review? So I read those. Um, and if I'm tagged in something, I will read it. But I follow my own hashtag on Instagram. Oh, okay. Um, like, hashtag Jennifer Hillier and I've just started doing that like when Jar of Hearts came out because I wanted to make sure that I that I saw everything I because the pictures are so pretty on Instagram right and these bookstagrammers do amazing creative things with book covers and there and I wanted to see all that because it was so new for me to see all that and but but sometimes you know you get what you get um as I say in mocks you get what you get and you don't get upset because sometimes the hashtag is not because it's a pretty picture sometimes it's it's just a, a review that I rather would have not seen so um at some point i should probably unfollow my own hashtag so that i don't have to see that um but generally no i do not read my reviews um i learned the hard way that uh that it's painful sometimes to read every single thing everybody thinks especially when i'm working on something new that's very true that's very true especially if you're sensitive at all i mean i know some people like i've read reviews that were critical that i found helpful like okay yeah i could see why you thought that I'll remember right. that for future. You know what right. I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but a lot of times they're not. But I think by the time, you know, by the time the book is published, think of how many people have read it. Right. Yeah. Um, so if you're not familiar with publishing, there is a whole process that starts a year before the book is published, if not sooner, where, you know, it's been through your agent, your editor, a proofreader, a copy editor, maybe a few editors in house. Um, and then of course it goes to, you know, trade reviews and, Bookstagrammers get early copies and Goodreads. And so by the time the book is out, you have a really good sense of what people hate. Yeah, you do. Uh (laughs) And so that's my cutoff is when the book is published and it's out there, um, I I don't need to know because whatever, whatever's in it that people hate, I know what that is or what those multiple things are. And there's nothing I can do because the book is, is written. It's out. I can't change it if I wanted to, and I have to let it go, but I have to force myself because I feel very attached um, but now, no, now I'm like, I, I just don't read my reviews anymore. So, so I want to ask, so in little secrets, the reason, um, I was so excited 
for you to be in August is because we're talking about the other woman. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, have you gotten, there's a, there is another woman that we're going to talk about in Little mm-hmm. Secrets, but have you gotten a lot of reviews or comments from people about her? There, um, yeah, people feel conflicted about her because I think initially when I wrote her, I wrote her as younger um, than the wife. So in the story, um, Marin is in her 40s and she's been married a long time to a guy her own age. And then he cheats on her with a much younger woman. And and I think people expect to go into that and read and be really upset about it, which I know that I was like when I was writing her, I was kind of hate writing this character. Um, yeah because she's 24 and, and she's a wannabe Instagram famous person and and she's sleeping with this woman's husband and how dare she and I was pissed. But then, um, you know, it was it was kind of fun to dive in and figure out what her motivations were and how self-aware is she of her own motivations um, because the fact that she's doing it doesn't mean that she herself understands why and I wanted to explore that. Um, but I feel like every every reader who's commented on it has there's something relatable about the situation um either either you've been through it because you've been cheated on or you've been the other woman or you know somebody right who's been through the situation and um, it is definitely a touchy subject Uh, and people always have opinions i don't think i've ever talked to anybody about little secrets who didn't have an opinion about that one way or the other so they they're either like no i understand her name's kenzie right yeah kenzie I understand Kenzie's motivations. You know, she's not a villain. She's just a girl. You yeah, know, she's, she's confused. Just... She's young. You know, she doesn't know what she's doing. And really, it's the guy who's married. The guy shouldn't be doing this. Or then, it's, or oh it's, my God. she's a gold digger. And she knows exactly what she's doing. And she can't build a life of her own. So she's going to take this guy for everything. You know, um, use his money, use his status, right? It's, it's, people feel very strongly. Like when, when there's no, there's no reader that I think I've talked to about it who didn't have an opinion about her um, and, and feel compelled to express that opinion. And, okay, um, so let's talk yeah. about the plot a little. So, okay, the main character, you say her name Marin, don't you? Marin, I do, yeah. I heard yeah. you in an interview. I always read it as Marin because that's a yes. name I've heard here a lot. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, that probably, so, probably wouldn't be wrong because my editor said, is that how I say it? And I'm like, no, I in my head it's Marin. No, that um, makes sense. Yeah. So Marin her in the process of trying she has a pi investigating her missing son and the pi kind of inadvertently uncovers her husband's affair and so she's like who is this bitch you know like any of us would be curious and she kind of investigates and then we meet kenzie who actually is a pov character she has a she has pages and we learn more about kenzie she's a struggling art student she kind of has a racket going where she's um you know she'll the thing I really found interesting is because we talked about this last episode about the other woman who goes psycho, the other woman, like the fatal attraction woman yes, or yeah. like, well, she kind of plays on that trope and gets men to do a payout at the right. end of the affair, which I right. found so interesting because I was like, wow, she's really like, she's a smart cookie, you know, like she's <laughs> figured out that this is where this can go for her. Well, so she kind of like, I think desperation is a great motivator, right? Yes. Um, but, you know, I didn't want to paint her as crazy, right? So when we watch movies like Fatal Attraction or even um, like Disclosure, remember that old movie with Michael Douglas and Demi Moore? Absolutely. Um, and that whole like the girl goes psycho, you know, it's, I didn't want to, I, I wanted her to be calculated. I wanted her to, to be in control of herself and, and to kind of look at the situation from a, a business standpoint and she needs money. 
and there are men who are willing to give it to her. Um, and maybe not in gigantic amounts. Maybe there's a, an understanding that you will be a companion for me and we'll hang out. And while we're hanging out, I'll buy you things and pay for things and help you out if you're, you know, in need. Um, and then when it ends, because a relationship, I think, based on that maybe isn't meant to last forever, um, they'll then have to pay severance, right? Like if you want to end it, um, you if you want me to go away and not bother you anymore and not ruin your life, um, then you need to you need to give me some walking money, right? So I can get on with my life and and they pay, right? And I and it's interesting because I, she she's not a, a, I think she describes herself in the book as a professional girlfriend, but she's it's not like she's on a website, you know, and hiring her services out. Um, she believes in cultivating relationships. She does stay monogamous to the person she's with. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's not completely cold-blooded. She does like all of them. And that's part of, I think, what makes it doable for her, right, is that they're all men that on some level she she enjoys being around. So um, she just happens to, you know, it's a. It, the, I think what makes them equal to each other is that she is, she's young and normally would never date a guy that old and married, but he's also rich. So money is the great equalizer. Yeah. And I think in her situation, you know, she's poor. She's caring for, she's not just paying her own expenses. So like, I think it was an interesting decision that it's not like she's just um, being greedy. You know, she has a job. She's not unable to pay her own expenses is that she's also supporting her uh her mother who has alzheimer's right right so that that's a good reason to help us understand why she needs all this extra money and makes this a very different kind of story um like i just read the arrangement yes have you read that that one Mm -hmm. yeah and so that's a story about women who are like trying to make a good living for themselves and like professional sugar babies and they're on a website and they sell their services right to these men right um and they come to an agreement where they're receiving, you know, money and, and then there's like this whole etiquette in place where when it's done, it's done. (laughs) Uh Um, But with Kenzie, there's no such formality and it's, she attracts these men and she just, they, she waits for that spark. um, And then they, they come together and, and the arrangement just happens. So But I want, you know, I wanted her to be a fully fleshed out character and I wanted, she's still a hustler, right? And I I mean that in a good way and that she will do what she needs to do to keep her head above water, to pay her rent, uh, to buy her cat, cat food, to, you know, she wants to stay in school. Um, So she does work at a coffee shop and she does make her own money, but she also is frustrated and she wants nicer things sooner and she's got gigantic responsibilities financially with her mom being in a care facility um and so she'll take some shortcuts you know and if she can if she can do that she's not opposed to doing that um well, and of course and she if... takes the her entire life is then presented on instagram looking great right so on top of that she's got that filter of my life is great i'm really happy she does and she does this one thing at one point where she sends a nude of herself <laughs> And I just found that like such an emotional moment because I was just imagining being a wife in her 40s. Yeah. Having had a kid and then like your husband's receiving these emotional, these are these, uh, these nudes of himself, of this woman. Of women who look very different than you do, um, who are very physically opposite to you. Um, 
I don't know if it was Elizabeth Gilbert. I was reading something that she had written, the author Elizabeth Gilbert, Eat, Pray, Love. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had talked about being the other woman herself and said that I didn't need to be more beautiful. I just needed to be different. Right. And I was fascinated by that because women were really hard on ourselves in terms of how we think we should look and how we think we should be, um, how our how our body should look, for instance, right? And everything looks better than we do sometimes. We look at other women and we and we are envious of, of things we think are not good in ourselves. And so for Marin, you know, she sees Kenzie as this younger, probably fertile um, person, because Marin struggled to get pregnant, who is tall and slim and leggy. And I think I described Marin as five foot five foot three or something and she'll never be leggy um mm-hmm. and and then of course we see it from Kenzie's point of view where she sees Marin as confident and stylish and very put together um and curvy you know I loved that I loved it when I was in because I, I love this feeling of being in each woman's point of view and seeing right the, each woman from the other's perspective I just right. thought that was so smart I was like oh my gosh because that's exactly that's it was just so true to the female experience I think to feeling yeah. like you're constantly comparing yourself to other people and like yeah. you can only have one body and it can't have everything you exactly. can't be leggy and super curvy and really busty but then flat and athletic you can't right. have all the different no, body types you can only have yours things. yeah yeah and I think what was interesting too is as I was writing that whole dynamic right what I've learned um through personal experience with just having, you know, being married and having guy friends is guys care a lot less about how we look than we think they do. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they care a lot less about the things that we obsess over. Um, and so like an informal poll of me and my girlfriends, we all agreed that we dress for each other. Like we, <laughs> we dress to get compliments from our girlfriends more so than we dress to get a compliment from our husbands. Um, because guys are like, Oh, naked lady. Right. Um, all good. And they're not thinking of all the things that you don't like about yourself. And they're not necessarily comparing you to every other woman they see either. And, but women will do that with each other. So It's very like um, a function of the patriarchy, but it's actually not yeah. about men. It's weird. It's like yeah. a double-edged yeah. thing. Like we're, yeah, It's I not about yeah. men, but it's about how we all fit into this system. And so yes. it's all this hierarchy within between women in this patriarchal system. But yes it's really between women and about women less than it right. is about how we think right. men are looking at us. Although, right. I don't know. I have, um, I have known a lot of men who were of the like personal trainer type of men who were very critical uh, of women's bodies. And then, you, you know what? And those guys exist. They yeah. really do. They'll, they, they really all nitpick. kinds of tips to help you get fitter, um, and to make your stomach flatter and your butt perkier and, and they'll make comments that, make you feel like you should right um so yeah no I I, they're not off the hook (laughs) but (laughs) I remember when I was first pregnant I had um one of those pregnancies that I was like wider before I poked out forward yeah does that make sense yes yep and um I remember a guy who was like a personal trainer guy looked at me and he said you don't even look pregnant you just look like a regular woman who gained 15 pounds I know and it's that's like first of all I'll never forget it well you never forget that because one that happened to me too. I went through a phase during my pregnancy where I didn't look pregnant. I just looked, you know, like I, I chubbed out a little, right? Like I just looked yeah. full and I looked like I lost my waist. Um, yeah. so my proportions were off 
and everything looked tight around the middle, right? As if I was wearing a shirt that was a size too small. Yeah. Um, and it was like that for two months until I then finally had the proper, you know, shaped belly that looked like there was an actual child inside it. Um, but yeah, people would just kind of look at you and think, oh, you know, haven't been to the gym lately or whatever. And it's like, oh my God. Um, but yeah, like it, it, that you never forget that sting of <laughs> being told that maybe you're not looking good. Yeah, so I found it really interesting when, because I had already seen Kenzie from Marine's perspective where I was Mm -hmm. like seeing her tall, skinny body and her tattoo and just, I was like, oh God, I could imagine what that would feel like. And then when I saw Marine from Kenzie's perspective, I was like, right, because she's like got all the beautiful curves and she's wearing all designer clothes. She's feminine and soft in all the ways that Kenzie is is lanky and hard, right? And, Mm -hmm. And we all kind of like... I think we sometimes covet what we don't have. Like if, if your friend has curly hair, you envy her curly hair. Of course, um, yeah. And yet she envies the fact that your hair just is so straight and easy, right? And it's just what we do. I, I, and, I, and, and I've been doing it for so long that I don't even know when it started. I just know that I've always done it. Um, so I wanted to kind of showcase that because that was something I wanted to talk about in the book is how women see each other. And it was a, it was a deliberate choice not to make Derek a POV character because I actually wasn't that interested to hear what he thought of the two of them. <laughs> I wanted, I was more interested in what they thought of each other and of him. So. So I found it really interesting that, um, I found it really interesting that he was sort of, it was like both perspectives on him, but the story really wasn't about him. No. Yeah. It was, it was, it was the women's story. Um, it was how they're affected by him, right? It's how they see him, how they perceive themselves to be seen by him. Um, and it was a story of how they, of how they are, you know, how they move through the world, right? And the lens that they see the world through. And I really wanted to keep it to them. I was interested in what they had to say. Um, so, so would you say this is a sympathetic, this story is sympathetic to the other woman? Uh I don't know if I would say sympathetic. Um, I don't know if that would be the exact right word I would use, but I would say it's fair. Um, okay. In, in the sense that I try to paint her as a whole person that is, is, you know, maybe at her core, a good human being would never murder anybody or, or, or you know, do anything violent to someone else, but makes terrible choices based on selfish reasons. Um, I wanted to paint her as a whole person with with a, a past, um, with dreams and wants, with good things, um, and with shitty things about her, you know, and because that's who we are as people, right? And I didn't want to just villainize her completely. I wanted the reader to have an opinion about, you know, could she be all bad if she's a cat lover? <laughs> she's good <laughs> to her cat. Could she be all bad if she's got this mom, you know, that she's responsible for financially, um, if she's all alone in the world, right, without her mom, she doesn't have any family. So, you know, how mad can you be at someone who's struggling to survive here, right? But then at the same time, she does a lot of really awful things that hurt other people. So um, I didn't want to paint her as perfect, but I didn't, I don't feel that my portrayal of her was unfair, I guess, is what I would say. I would I would really agree. I, I would say that your voice is neutral 
judgment. Like you're not trying to lead the reader toward uh, feeling any one way or the other. You're just kind of presenting these characters yeah. as their whole selves and then just letting the reader work it out. Thank you. How yeah. they feel about it. Which is what I was, yeah, definitely that's what I was trying to do. I was just trying to, here's, here's the information. <laughs> how mm-hmm. do you feel about this? Because I think that's probably how it is in, in real life most of the time. I would imagine that, you know, you it's it's very easy when someone does certain things like for example cheat on their spouse you yeah. know to just slap a, a judgmental yeah. yeah you know stamp you know, stamp them as yeah. this but then i think if you really get into it um you know barring the sociopaths of the world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. people have not always good but complex reasons for being the way they are definitely and actually i did a book club the other night where one of the um one of the like the book club participants asked why didn't Marin just leave him? Like, I didn't like how you portrayed her because she is a successful woman. She's a self-made woman. You wrote that in the book. She owns a chain of hair salons. She's got her own money. Why doesn't she leave this guy? And that spurred a whole interesting discussion about, about Marin's choices as well, right? That she wasn't immune to anyone else's judgment either. Like, even though she's not the one cheating, she also was still criticized, right? As to why did you stay? in a marriage, um, why didn't you instantly, because in the, in the book, I describe how she was cheated on by her husband, uh, one time before. Um, that's right. Right. And, but, and, and, you know, like, why didn't she leave him then? Or what did she expect would happen? Right. Four years later, five years later, he's cheating again. And, uh, I, to that, I would say, well, it's complicated, right. Which it always is. And, um, and Marin had her reasons for not leaving and, um, you know, and I, again, I presented how Marin looked at it, which is, you know, she was pregnant when she found out the first time and it was a one-time thing, but you know, 20 years in, it's a lot of life that you've invested with someone else mm-hmm. and you don't necessarily want to throw that away if you think maybe it could be saved or if you're carrying around a lot of guilt as to how you got there. And, you know, they had, when their son went missing, which happens in the very first chapter, they fracture as a couple, right? It's it's devastating to both of them individually, and they both handle it very differently. Um, but they don't necessarily handle it together. So, you know, she medicates with alcohol and pills um, and other stuff that's harmful to her, and he medicates with Kenzie. And So um, they both, I would say, I was fascinated with this because I was like, they're both self-harming. He's yeah. blowing up his marriage. He's yeah. destroying his life. Yeah. He's just self-destructive spiral in a more right. like cinematic and masculine way. Right. Where he's like, I'm going out of town. I'm getting this nice car and I'm going right. to drive around a 20-year-old in it. Like he's just, <laughs> you know, he's just yes. like going to do a really epic. Clichéd, epic, rich man. Middle age. This aged. is how I'm going to deal with my midlife crisis, grief. Right. Right. Failing relationships. And she's yeah. like, I will just kill myself slowly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, isn't that interesting though? Right? And then and then that's another thing is, is when Marin is going through all of the pain and grief about her son being missing and she's blaming herself because it happened when she was with her son. Um, all of that stuff, she turns it inward, right? She's punishing herself. Yeah. Punishing herself for all of the things that she thinks she did wrong. Um, as you said, killing herself slowly. Whereas Derek, this happened to him too, right? His son also went missing. He also feels terrible about that, but he doesn't necessarily turn it inward. He turns it outward. And um, I'm glad you picked up on that because that was something I also 
wanted to showcase is, is the different ways that we handle pain. Um, yeah, I actually felt perfectly sympathetic toward him during that whole lead up as well. Like I was like, yeah. well, her pain and depression is so hard to be around. He yeah. can't fix it. And I know yeah. that it's really tough to be married to someone when they're going through something like that and you right. can't fix it. The stress right. that puts on the partner and like right. the need to like separate from that and to right. put distance between yourself and that person right. just because their pain is so awful to be around. Like, yeah. so I think his way of separating from that was yeah. you know, and, and to have an affair. Right. And, and he sees Marin, his wife's pain, but he also is carrying the pain of him, his own. Right. And, um, because it was his son too. So it, it's, it was just easier to not think about it. And when he was with Kenzie, he could be anyone he wanted to be, right? He could he could see himself through her eyes, which was adoring and there's no baggage and no failures as a husband and no, it's fresh and new. And, um, yeah. and I think he just needed to self-soothe that way. Um, you know, he, he didn't look at himself as a gigantic disappointment that I'm not not a good dad, not a good you know husband. And I think her pain didn't leave room for his too. You know, it, it was like no, she was it, taking up all the room and all it the room sucked up all the oxygen and all of her mm-hmm. relationships because you couldn't, you couldn't relax around her. You didn't know how she was going to react to anything. Um, you, you didn't want to lie to her, but you didn't want to tell her the truth either. Right. For fear that she couldn't handle it. So, um, and she demonstrated that. So there was it, the, the book I think was really about pain <laughs> A cheerful um, story. I wrote a lot about pain, like emotional pain. And it's funny because it's like I wrote this book, what, a year and a half ago now? And I, it's funny how you don't necessarily see it at the time. And then you look back and go, wow, yeah. There's a lot of stuff there. A lot of stuff So there. this was a departure for you. I'm just curious yeah. because it was a different kind of book for you. It was really very much so. And it was really hard to write. And I remember telling you this at like a year ago or a year and a mm-hmm. half ago when I was working my way through it that it was the first book that I wrote that didn't have a serial killer in it. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no bodies piling up in the book, which has been the case with my first five books. And it's really hard when you are used to having dead bodies to rely on, to push the story forward, (laughs) to then not have that because dead bodies are so useful for so many things, right? They show characters doing things. They provide clues to the investigation, they reveal things that we didn't know, right? It's wonderful. And then when they raise the stakes, they totally raise the stakes. You know, you're racing against time to make sure there's no more dead bodies. Um, but in this situation, it's like, there's nobody, like people are not dropping like flies or getting murdered every chapter. So you have to find the conflict, uh, somewhere else. And as a writer, um, who relied heavily on the serial killer thing, that was challenging for me. And I have so much respect for any writer who's never written a book about multiple murders because I think it's hard. It's hard. It's so much harder to do um, to keep people interested. So will you do this again or are you going back to murdering all the people? Oh, I want to go back to murdering all the people because it brings me, <laughs> it brings me such relief and joy to do that, which sounds terrible out of context. Um, but it's what I know, right? And and I still, I'm still fascinated by people who do that. And so... But I don't know. I, my next book is in the super early stages, so I have to be careful what I say because I may inadvertently talk about it and then it dies, which happens to me every time. So Oh, I'm suspicious. I'm not suspicious. Hello. Superstitious. Su- I'm like that so too. super. I know. They're so fragile, these little ideas, right? You can't breathe on them until they're ready. So, But it's definitely another thriller. Um, 
and I don't know if there is a serial killer in it. I, I don't think so, which sucks because I'm like, I really want to fall back on that. But um, maybe I have said all I have to say about serial killers. Um, I did feel that way when I finished Jar of Hearts. So that, that could be where I'm at as I've said all I have to say about that. Well, we cannot wait to read it. Which means Whatever I have to grow as a writer. Oh, it's so hard to grow. <laughs> I know. And at some point, doesn't it seem like you should just be exempt from it? I just want to just stay the same, right? And do what works. And so it's so annoying when you feel yourself growing um, because then it means you have to work really hard to get where you're going and learn those lessons. Um, and sometimes I forget I've been around as long as... I haven't written that many books, but I've been a writer for uh, 10 years and I, I have grown. And it's funny when I look back on where I was 10 years ago to where I am today. You know, um, don't you feel that way? I mean, you're newer as well, like me, but you've, you've like, you're four books in now. So I don't five, know. four, five? How many? Uh, no, I'm on, I have three published. I'm three published, okay. Fourth. Yeah. So that's a lot, right? I don't know. And you've learned some stuff about some stuff. Yeah. I mean, I guess I think all of us look back on our first book and we're like, it's a miracle that that book ever got. <laughs> I mean, like, that thing is a mess. You're like, that, does that but you know what? Like... But you know what the beauty of being that writer is that day is that you don't know anything. There is such beauty in, in all that optimism that you have going in and you don't know what the hell you're doing. And everything good that happens is amazing and everything bad that happens is soul crushing. Um, but there's beauty in the not knowing. And now I feel like I know all of the ingredients in the sausage that we make and while there's very few surprises now, it's also not pretty, <laughs> right? Yeah. Being a writer is not pretty, um, and you fail at it just as much as you succeed, and no one tells you that when you're new, um, because you will then not do it. So it's, it's yeah, that's the stuff. So that's a depressing way to end this conversation. And on that note... <laughs> <laughs> Talking about sausage... Amy. All right. Talking about <laughs> sausage and failure. But that is the business, kids. You know, it's really about how long you can stay in. That's that's what it is. That's what she said. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is UnlikableFemaleCharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at UnlikableFemaleCharacters. Thanks for listening.